0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the World Economics Podcast, brought to you by the UQES Diversity Team. I'm Marty. I'm Bronwyn. I'm Sharada, and I'm Joe. And each week, we bring in a new guest to talk about the issues that matter. UQES would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is taking place today. We acknowledge the country as both the Turrbal and Jagara nations. We pay our respects to all Elders past, present and future.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Francisco and this is the second part of our interview with Thomas Kelly. Well, I think your travels at a certain point got to an end and you came back to australia right mm. was renew fest your first project and when you arrived
2: no 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 i want to maybe one of the first yeah i can't i can't remember exactly where that fits in i've been involved for about four or five years it's a sustainability focus festival sort of somewhere between a, a sustainability expo and a ted talks festival so we have a lot of panels and discussion topics but in, in a sort of festival context so Big tents and lots of stuff going on yes yeah, so it's a re- it's a really awesome festival but they had identified the economics as one of the the key streams that they wanted to focus on so it's energy biodiversity humanity renewal economics food production and seeing that these are the core things that we need to advance on yeah and then so I sort of put my hand up and said oh, I can help pull together an economics program I've got some awareness of, sort of the characters in the space so I came on board as a sort of the economics program coordinator one year and then from there, Next, the year after that became i guess you call program coordinator so sort of looking at all those streams and then we, we moved to sort of make it more interdisciplinary so we had initially it was like the economics program and it was just economics but it was like oh, let, let's get the economists in with the farmers and get them in with the people in mental health front line and get them all talking because it's all kind of the same issues that we're looking at like it's such a multifaceted crisis that we're in right now but it's all pushing at the same fronts and you know the systems are showing up in the different fields, but it all you can find these common causes in it all. So we sort of moved to a, a more interdisciplinary focus, which has been really juicy.
0: So we also saw that you worked at the Centre for Conservation Geography for a mm. little bit. So what kind of research does the Centre for Conservation Geography do and kind of how does an economist contribute to that?
2: Yeah. So the Center for Conservation Geography is a great little NGO and it aims to provide research to support progressive conservation uh, efforts around marine areas and marine life, particularly sort of marine protected areas and that sort of thing, helping create those. And then I was brought in to sort of build some economic arguments. So we were like a question like if you created a protected no fish zone in a particular area, what impact does that have on the fishing industry in that area, but also then the tourism industry, those kind of things. So trying to sort of put a number on that. We tried to estimate the the value of the scuba dive industry in Australia. There was no figures on that, but we knew that there's a lot of people doing scuba diving. We know that there's a lot of value in it, but it's not being captured in in the sort of the trying to measure the economic benefits of a marine air protected area. So we're trying to add some nuance to that. So as an economist, you're trying to just put some numbers on these stories for like, this is what we think this is worth. Um, this is a, why we think it should be protected, that sort of thing. So kind of telling that story, finding a way to build that argument. That was really creative work, actually, because the data is just not there. So trying to estimate the value of the scuba dive industry there's no real data there. So it's like, so how, okay, how can we build this up? Like, what, can we take scuba sales data? Can we try and find some data from that and then try to scale it up? Like, okay, we, we know this one scuba shop in in Sydney sells this much. Is there some reasonable assumptions that we could make that we could scale that up to something like a national number or what, what would be a reasonable range? For, like if we did scale that up, like how much certainty do we have about that? What's a reasonable range we could put on that? So it's quite creative thinking, interesting work.
3: I guess moving to present day things after what sounds like like an amazing and like genuinely exciting career from uh, since uni, you are the principal at Integrity Economics based Mm -hmm. in Northern New South Wales. Are you able to tell us a bit about how your launch into Integrity Economics and the work you do with them?
2: Yeah, Integrity Economics is sort of the name for my own brand. And so I don't have to hustle for work right now because I've got a steady stream of clients who, who just need the work on a regular basis. But back when I was hustling for work, you know, putting myself out there, then that was the sort of the, the brand face for me, if that makes sense, because it just sounds better than, hey, it's me. I've got an organization here. So yeah, it's a bit of branding, really. It was a way to sort of put myself out there, so showcase the kind of work that I did and was wanting to do. And also... At that time, I was involved in an eco-village project and we were trying to develop the business case for that and trying to sell the benefits of the eco-village concept. And so I was doing some modeling around that and then yeah, presenting that through Integrity Economics and saying like, this is the numbers that I'm coming up with. This is my website. Come talk to me if you want to explore these numbers and understand more where they're coming from. So That was sort of the drive behind that. But I'm kind of in a lucky situation now where that's sort of settled down. I've got the regular clients and if I need more work, I kind of just hit them up and they have got people who need work like that. My client the other day said to me, says, look, I've got as much work as you want. So just let me know. So that's that's pretty sweet.
1: And now back to comedian versus economist. You already said that before you get in contact with Alec and Bryce, Adam and you did a few episodes, right? How did it work? And how was the decision of teaming up with them to launch comedian versus economist
2: yeah it was a very easy so we did six episodes as a pilot and we've both got young kids and so we're sort of squeezing it around all of that and the content's reasonably easy because it's stuff that i'm looking at already it's reports that i'm writing already so i'm mostly just leveraging work that i'm doing and pulling out interesting topics out of that and adam's asking some questions so the Content creation side's relatively easy, but the production side was hard. We were finding so getting it edited properly, getting it out there. So, we, we did those six episodes. We found the editing and production was taking a bit more time than we anticipated, it was a, was a bit of a story. And then we, you know, were sitting on a podcast that had a listenership of maybe 50, 100 people, which was all our friends. And we're like, okay, so what's the next step here? How do we build this? And so it's like, Oh, I guess we could, you know, have a marketing campaign, try and get ourselves out there like all this. And and we're both like, are we, are we really that into it? Like, I don't know if that, that sounds like quite a lot of work. And so with that, like, say, okay, we've done six, let's just sit on it for a bit. We'll think about it. And it was kind of right about that time that Alec and Bryce put out a call saying like, if, Hey, we're we're looking for new content, you've got any ideas hit us up. And so we sent that to them. And they listened to it and they loved it. And they're like, oh, this is great. Yeah, really want to get behind it. If you guys want to share with it and said, look, what we can do, you guys do the content and we'll do all the production and the marketing. And we're like, ah, sold. Like, that's great. That's all the stuff that we don't want to do. And so we've got a, yeah, there's a, the head of production there, Sasha is amazing. So we just send her the raw files. We'll often just stop in the middle and go, ah, sorry, Sasha, we muffed that up. And we, we just go back and start again. And so we don't we don't even we don't even touch it. So we just record it, send it to Sasha. She does an amazing job, whips it into shape, and the Equity Mates guys pump it out. So, from our perspective, as puppers with busy lives, already it's super awesome. Like I don't think we would be able to do it without Equity Mates for sure.
1: Oh, that's great! It sounds like it's a platform that put you already somewhere very interesting. I remember some time ago, either. Alex or Bryce had to record with a Juna on top of them. <laughs> but I don't think you've been through this process, right? I think you started already with a pro- <laughs> microphone. Can you know, I say that?
2: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm using a Yeti Blue, which is, I think it's $200. My brother uses a Rode. Yeah, but this, this Yeti Blue, I, can't, I love it. It's great. It's super portable. It sounds good. But sometimes I'm I'm, not, I'm never under a duna, but I was, last night I was out on the street because it was too noisy in the house. There were some the things going on. So, yeah. I know we sound professional, but, yeah, we're still amateurs.
1: Oh, you definitely sound professional. <laughs> I would recommend <laughs> the microphone you have. And how is it working with your, your brother? Because like, you guys were already planning to work together. Have you always been close or it was something that popped up? later
2: in life it's actually the best thing about it because we've both got young kids now under under five and we just weren't talking to each other he's in Adelaide I'm in Mullumbimby sort of near Byron Bay and so you know we'd try to catch up and we'd try to go over and see each other sort of kind of semi-regularly but you just don't really spend that much time together because just consumed by life and so it's been really great to have this project to sort of have this excuse to catch up once a week because he's a really funny guy like i love talking with him and he's always cracked me up you know and and not many people do so i really love yeah having that chat with him and yeah and it's great to sort of see where his career has sort of gone in that sense like he his story is really interesting so he dropped out of year 11 in high school and got a job at the apple store like in 1996 it would have been or something so before apple was really a thing set himself up as an apple expert which then went into this whole story and now he's got this whole career around sort of identity management and in the it space so yeah he's done really well but yeah and he had a stand-up comedy gig so it was kind of funny like we both i was an economist who did poetry on the side and he was an it guy who did comedy on the side and so yeah comedian versus economist kind of pulls all four of those things together somehow and amazing thing but yeah so it's nice we never would have planned it but yeah we're really happy that we're we're in it now
1: we definitely can see the chemistry listening to to the podcast it's great
0: Um, yeah, so we're just getting to the end of our questions. So I think each of us kind of have specific questions, probably more tailored to people in uni, kind of just like your advice. Um, so what is something that you kind of wish you knew before entering into the workforce?
2: I wish that I had some idea of what nine to five work was like. Like I was totally blindsided by that when I started work, that, you know, like when I was at university, well, I was a night owl, so I think a lot of people would relate to this, but they were, I'd study late. I would do most of my study between 10 and 2 in the morning, and then the mornings were always pretty slow and cramming as well. That's the other thing. Like, So I, I'd have a busy social life leading up through most of the semester and then just go really, really hard. I would not drink coffee all semester, just so that when exams hit, I could just hit the coffee and it would have maximum impact. And I'd just go super hard. That approach doesn't work in the workforce. Like just being on deck at nine o'clock in the morning was just such a struggle for me early on. I was falling asleep in meetings. Like it was just kind of embarrassing. So I kind of wish I had some like bit more experience of that before I hit the RBA, before I hit that first job straight out, that I had done something through that summer, just like, Get in the, in the groove of having a nine to five steady job, getting up regular hours because that gear shift was a real struggle for me.
3: I find that so funny because I think that's backwards to what I do as someone who's a massive coffee drinker and I come to exam time and the coffee sort of doesn't have its effectiveness and I need to move on to other things like energy drinks. Uh-huh. I, think, I know you said it wasn't advice, but I'm going to take it as advice.
0: <laughs> yeah, the nine till five does really like knock you off your feet. Like I did a two week intensive course for uni over the winter break and it was nine till five every day with outside assessment required. And mm. yeah, it was, <laughs> it was intense. Yeah,
3: In terms yeah. of sort of like economic subjects, what sort of tips do you have for studenthood in economics now like would you frame it around say econometrics or game theory as you mentioned earlier or is there like a part like a part of economics that you think might be more valuable than others or just general interest
2: yeah i think it's good to follow your passions i think i probably did more econometrics than i needed to and i probably should have because i just wasn't really that suited to statistics and the modeling so I didn't really love that I love I, I got into game theory and, and thinking about that that fitted me and so I did probably more than I, sh- I needed to and even then when I got out into the world the professors are going to hate me saying this but a lot of it's computer-based now so you, you can kind of any monkey can drive it really at a certain level like if you if you want to sort of get into you know develop your own models and do academic work and you really need to understand it but in an applied sense I think you don't need all that much so I, I think I think you definitely need to be numerate. I think that's really what, you know, gives you an advantage as an economist and allows you to step into different worlds is that, you, that you can talk about growth rates and understand how, what that means and, and be able to compare growth rates and think about percentage changes and that sort of things. And it's, that's not super complex, but it, if you can get quick with that, you get snappy with that and kind of quickly see how that works then that really sets you up well, I think. So definitely pay attention to that side. Definitely get how statistics work. If there's one book I'd recommend, it's Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. You know that one. So Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize a while back, but thinking fast and slow is an amazing book. And it's just about how bad humans are about thinking about probability and statistics. And yeah, so that that's just a great life practice to be able to think about probability and understand, you know, the likelihood of winning the lottery or what one in a one in a hundred million actually means. Yeah. So, so do that. But then I think, yeah, then I think follow your interests and there's a lot of ways that that can go. And I think like fundamentally as an economist, you're a storyteller, like you're telling stories and all of your characters are uh, data and pieces of the economy. So like the work that I do, ghostwriting, or even with comedian versus economist, it's all storytelling. And your strength as an economist is your ability to pull all these different moving pieces of the puzzle into a coherent narrative. And it's that narrative that sells. And so even at the bank, even though, like, obviously with the ghost and the content marketing stuff I do, it's all about the narrative. But even at the RBA, it's very much a narrative. It's like, you know, full-time jobs are down this month. This means this, which is going to mean that. And and it's that coherent sort of narrative that moves through that that allows you to, is your strength, is, is what you're selling to the market. And so I think, like, so Following that interest, learning how the stories work, being able to tell those stories, get versed in, in telling those stories, I think would, would set you right.
1: So for the book, if people paying attention, they're thinking fast and slow, definitely a big recommendation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's excellent. I think that's it, Thomas. Thank you so much for being here for our interview. It was great. It's a, such a prolific career. You have so many things you do in life. We were really excited to have you here. Thank you so much.
2: No, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's been been great to connect. Like I I was saying just before, like I organized a bunch of barbecues for the Economic Society back in the 90s. So it's great to see it's uh, kicking on and going from strength to strength. So yeah, well done, guys.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
3: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. We'll see you next time.